Anyway, Brian's a good friend of mine, and I always appreciate his ministry, and so we're always happy to have him, man. You guys will definitely be blessed, so I am going to just turn it right over to him. Yeah, not a lot of people can do it. It's just, I have a captive audience. What can they do? So, uh, anyway, um, all right. Well, I, I'm a, I usually talk pretty loud here, too, so I think that this should probably, can everybody hear me all right? All right, well, I am going to uh, show you something here before we get started. Um, I've got a little scarecrow here, and uh, I'm just going to see if I would take this scarecrow and give it some sort of power, some sort of personality, and tell it, you know, I, I would like this scarecrow to awake, and say, wake up, scarecrow, wake up, and get this thing to arise like that. Some of you might be amazed. Some of you might think that's lame. <laughs> but point being is that sometimes we can subscribe, uh, subscribe power to things that don't deserve that kind of power. If I would tell it to sleep and let it to go to sleep all of a sudden, okay, you might think that there is some life involved in this. Well, there is no life in this. This is obviously just a trick. It's nothing... You know, but I believe that there have been times in the past when people have probably actually seen things that had power subscribed to it or ascribed to it. Now, I show you this because this could be an idol for someone. And I think in times past and in times present, people make idols out of things that should never be worshipped, should never be given that kind of power. And I'm going to show you today that we in the church have actually practiced idol worship. And many people didn't even realize it. But that is what it is. It's idol worship. When we give power, it, the idol isn't the object itself. It's the power you ascribe to it. When it becomes something that you give that power to, it becomes an idol. We'll discuss that here as we go. Um, maybe you might need to put my computer up top in order for this to maybe reach to switch because it's not switching on me. Yeah, let's try this here now. Do I have it on? I do. There we go. And so I've entitled this supernatural selection. I'm sure most of you have heard of natural selection, right? I mean, we've, we've grown up in a country that has worshipped natural selection. And we have made natural selection a god. And people don't even realize it, even in the church. I believe, frankly, that if you're sitting here today and you believe that the earth is millions of years old, not saying you're not a Christian, okay, I believe I will be in heaven with people who believed the earth was millions of years old. But I'm going to tell you this. I believe that you have practiced idol worship and you didn't even know it. I will explain as we go. Exodus 23 says, You shall have no other gods before me. And my goal today is to put God back on his throne where he belongs and knock any idol off of it. Well, let's see here if I can go. What I want to show you here is something that does not sound all that exciting. It's called epigenetics. Kind of a big fancy word that basically just is talking about genetics and on a small scale changes that are taking place within that genetic uh, structure. 
that God has created. And one of the things that maybe you've heard are these things called blind cave fish. Now, a blind cave fish, as the evolutionary story goes, is that these fish have been put in caves where they, you know, lived in caves where it's dark, they're, they're removed from the sun, and as a result, they cannot see. Their eyes eventually even go away. So after millions of years of being kept in the dark, mutations take place. Those mutations cause them to lose their eyes, and now we have these blind cave fish, fish with no eyes. Their, their body looks very uh, lacking any pigmentation, so they're very pink, all that kind of stuff. And that's how it is. Over millions of years, these changes have taken place. Now, as creationists, we have often explained this, and I am ashamed to say wrongly so, we have often explained this as, yes, mutations take place. But, though mutations do take place, mutations never increase complexity. Increase uh, or provide a new kind of animal. And so, as creationists, we have said mutations are the explanations. Mutations are a result of the curse. The problem is that that is not what was going on. And the problem is, is yes, we, we did our best to understand and to say, yes, the curse, the curse causes problems, the problems is what we see. But what we did is we kind of knocked God off of His throne. We knocked God out of being involved in our lives and we said the curse is what's controlling this world right now. Not God in His infinite wisdom, His infinite power, in His infinite love, but the curse is really what was controlling things. And we took away God's omniscience and omnipotence. Let me explain to you what goes on here that actually what's going on now, they will say that you know natural selection causes evolution and all of that kind of thing, too. We're going to disagree with that, too. But first, I want to show you this. These are, there are over 150 different varieties of blind cave fish. So it's not like this has just happened once, which is kind of strange for evolution that it would happen in the same way. It's almost like it's predictable that if you take a fish and you stick it out, in, out of the sun and into pure darkness, that its body would change. You see, mutations aren't predictable. Those are accidental. You don't know when they're going to happen, and you don't know what's going to happen when that change would take place. But yet, we have 150 different types of blind cave fish. You can see the, the blind ones are on the bottom, and then up top, this is what they look like. You can see the changes that will take place. But what's fascinating is the Institute for Creation Research, nobody had ever done this before. They took a blind cave fish and they stuck it into a, an aquarium where the sun and everything could shine in it and it could be back, put back into a normal environment. And what ends up happening is what is normally this hyperpigmented blind cave fish would turn back into what looks like a normal fish almost completely in 30 days. 30 days! Now, mutations should not be reversible. But instead, we're seeing that there is a design that's going on here, and it is not natural selection, something that's natural and unexplainable and, and, and mutations, but it is a pre-programmed design 
that is supernatural. 30 days, and we see, this is, by the way, the same fish. This is not two different fish. This is what it looked like. 30 days later, this is what it looked like. And this is new. This is the newest stuff. We, we don't know where this is all going to go. But what we're seeing is that these changes are not only predictable, but they're reversible and repeatable. Something evolution would not allow. We've all grown up learning what we did in the, in the textbooks and the media and everything telling us how all these things, and we have bought it hook, line, and sinker, and this is how we explain the world around us, and yet we're showing you no. Everything you've learned about evolution cannot be predictable, cannot be repeatable, cannot be reversible. Mutations, when they happen, it's gone. So we've been wrong. And even creationists have been teaching this wrong. Giving the curse the power rather than God the power. So here's what a male com looks like compared to a surface fish today. The one that uh, the Institute for Creation Research has compared to that. So we're, we're going to try and put some blind cave fish in our museum that we have there as well. Um, uh, let me show you here another story that we have been told by evolutionists. It's, it's the finches from the Galapagos Islands. Remember Darwin went over there and he saw finches. Some had big beaks, some had little beaks just like you guys do. And he thought, oh, evolution, right? No. As a matter of fact, we've been watching finches and this story has been wrong. Because we can get these finches to go from a broad beak to a short beak or, or thicker beak in simply a generation or two. Um, all depending on the food that is available for that finch. Some will eat you know, human trash, others are eating their nuts and berries and things like that. And if they go from one place to another, that beak will change within a generation or two. It doesn't take millions of years. And... It doesn't just go away, but it's reversible. So that the same finch can have its beak changed in a single, a single season even. You can notice the changes. And this is the kind of thing that we're noticing. That it is a rapid adaptation. You see, adaptation is a word that we often assign to evolution, but adaptations are good. We see it happening all the time. Rapid adaptations. Some of you, you know, will go out and shoot a gun. Have you ever been around somebody that, that first time somebody shoots a gun? It's, oh, whew, right? It's loud. After about the third or fourth time, you don't even notice it. Rapid. Or, or you might, you know, go out into the cold, and you're really cold at first, and pretty soon you're used to it, and everything is fine. The temperature hasn't changed, but you've adapted to it. Right? Yeah, some of you, yeah, no, never do. I, yeah. I know that in the winter, we have our furnace at about 62 to 65, because I'm cheap. Chris can attest to that. But I adapt. The family adapts to it. Now, in the summer, I'd be freezing to death if I put that at 62 to 65. In the summer, I've got my thermostat at 75. Okay? But we adapt. Those are just small examples of what I'm going to show you here. Uh, you might have heard as well the uh, peppered moths here. 
the peppered moss, as the evolutionary story goes, in many textbooks, is this. Well, you see, the moths used to have this really light color, and they would come and land on these trees. Well, because they were a light color, they blended into these trees. The darker moths, well, what ended up happening with them is they would stick out like a sore thumb, so the birds would come and eat them. And as a result, you didn't have very many dark moths, but you had a lot of light moths. Well, the Industrial Revolution came and all the burning of coal and all of this kind of stuff, the soot in the air, turned these trees a darker color. And so now, as a result, those lighter bugs, the lighter moths would stick out like a sore thumb, and the darker ones blended in. And so it changed. The population shifted, and there were more of the darker ones and less of the lighter ones. See, evolution. Now, I never understood that argument to begin with because I'm like, that's not evolution. The only thing that happens is one is going to go extinct. It doesn't turn that moth into a bird, right? It, but what they do is they try to give you, oh, look, see, natural selection. And then they say natural selection is what causes evolution to take place. So this is almost like a building block of evolution. The real problem I had with this originally was, the, well, that never happened. Never did that happen. First of all, all the pictures you saw in your textbooks of these moths were dead moths glued on trees to take the picture. Never happened. Second of all, when do the birds come to eat the moths? Birds don't come out at night to feed. And it doesn't matter what color they are at night anyway. And that's what they were saying, is that uh, when the moths are out flying around, in land, and then that's what happens to them. Okay, so that didn't make sense. And now, even more so what doesn't make sense is that had nothing to do with the change at all. We're seeing that these moths can change immediately simply by a marker on their, their DNA, genetics, a pigmentation marker being turned on, and immediately that thing will become a darker moth. The very next one. So it doesn't take millions of years, it doesn't take trees turning color, it doesn't take any of that, it just happens fast because of pre-programmed information inside that moth. So, what we're seeing is that mobile DNA is what we have. What's that mean? That things can change. Within our DNA, we used to think that, hey, what you're born with, that's what you get. And it doesn't change, when in fact we're seeing that it does change. There are markers, there are things that will allow adaptations in your lifetime to take place even in your body, even in the body of this moth. And so DNA being mobile does not fit evolution and mutations causing changes. Completely different things here, but that's what we're hearing. Let me give you some examples of this now to start bringing this together. Uh, many of you have probably uh, caught northern pike as you go fishing. Well, northern pikes, well, in many of the lakes that they're at, sometimes you'll find these carp. There's something called accretion carp. And a northern will eat just about anything. And if it goes and eats a perch, nothing happens. Okay? The lake remains the same. But as soon as one of these northerns goes and eats one of these accretion carps, the accretion carp, which normally looks like this up above, it, it goes into the stomach of the, the northern, it digests it, and then it excretes all of the juices and all that stuff back out. Well, there are little aromas and scents that 
are then picked up by the rest of the carp in the lake that says, hey, one of my cousins just got eaten. And they don't want to be the next one to get eaten. So within 24 hours, the rest of the carp in that lake will change shape from this to that. 24 hours. They get a hump on their back to make them a little harder to, to swallow. They uh, are able to swim faster. It's more streamlined. And all this takes place in 24 hours. Now, again, how many times have we heard, well, look, had you found this fish and this fish, what would the story have been? Well, it looks like they've evolved over millions of years. They've changed shape, right? Wrong. It wasn't an accident, it wasn't a mutation, it was a pre-programmed response to an environment sensing that my cousin just got chewed up and they change shape. Amazing. That, folks, is not an accident, that is design. Pre-programmed, rapid, predictable, reversible, not evolution. None of those definitions or words define evolution. How about here, we have the, the male reef fish. The reef fish is kind of a fun little thing here. Usually you get about 10 to 15 females and one male in a group. Now a fisherman comes along, he's fishing, and all of a sudden that male reef fish grabs onto the hook and he gets removed from the school of fish. What are those 10 to 15 females going to do without a male? <laughs> They're going to cry. They can't live without us. Within 24 hours, the larger female in that school of females begins to grow testes, and it is going to change into the new male for that group. 24 hours. What's that? <laughs> Trans, yeah. Not transgender, but definitely pre-programmed design. Isn't that amazing? And this is what's going on in nature around us. Again, not evolution, but pre-programmed design, a powerful engineer that is behind this kind of thing. Mice. This is crazy. You know, you guys have probably heard that you are what you eat. Have you, how many of you have heard that? There may be truth to that. And it's not this. This is not the proof, okay? Uh, donuts are not the proof. But it is proof. Do you know that if you eat nothing but ho-hos and ding-dongs, you might enjoy your life, but at the same time, do you know that you might pass on a genetic propensity for your children and your grandchildren to have diabetes? If the way you eat today, if you are eating unhealthy and you're not taking care of the temple that God has given us, the tent that He lives in, that the Spirit lives in, when we don't take care of that, there are physical consequences. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've said, I don't care, I don't care, you know. Or when I was, you know, young and skinny, it didn't matter to me. Because all I was thinking about is feed the flesh, feed the flesh, that's all I care about. But we are finding that if you eat unhealthy, you could easily and very likely will pass on something to your children and grandchildren, or to you yourself. Sin always has consequences, folks. The Bible talks about gluttony. Let me tell you, I broke that command many times. Okay? 
I might have just done it this week. <laughs> Six golden, uh, golden corral rolls, okay? <laughs> but I'm telling you that there are consequences to those things, and it isn't just getting fat. We, we need to think about these things. Everything we do, we should have a spiritual uh, examination in our minds about this. Because we look at uh, high blood pressure, diabetes. Well, those are just natural things that happen. Yes, it can. Maybe it's because of grandma and grandpa. Maybe it's because of that generational sin. Maybe it's just because of the curse. But maybe it's because of your choices in your life as well. Maybe because you've got high blood pressure because you're not trusting God. And you're stressed out. Life is just oh, so busy, so, so many. You're just stressed because you're not giving it over to the Lord. And you're not trusting God. And so as a result of your lack of faith, physical changes actually do take place. Again, I'm not saying just because you have high blood pressure, there's sin in your life. There, it could be a number of things. But it could be that you're not living in faith. We are what we eat. Let me give you some examples of some of these changes. Mice can warn their grandchildren of danger before they're, even if they're dead. Here's what happens. What they did is they took these mice and they put them on a pad that would zap them. You might have seen maybe years ago, I, I used to go to like Paul Bunyan and there was a dancing chicken. I don't know if any of you remember that but you would put a quarter in this thing. There was a chicken. Chicken would come out, and it would start dancing. Well, what they did is there was a heating plate on the bottom. You put the quarter in it, heated up the plate, and it caused the chicken to not want to stand on the plate. So you got a dancing chicken for a quarter. They don't do those things anymore. Okay? But that's pretty much what they did here. Every time they exposed these mice to the scent of cherry blossom. They zapped them. And so they did this over and over. Cherry scent blossom, zap. Cherry scent blossom, zap. They didn't like the scent of cherry blossom. So they take the, uh, the males out. They mate them with females. They take the males back. The females have babies. They take those babies and they sacrifice them. They kill them right away. And they look at the olfactory nerves, the, the bulbs, in their brains and they see that the children have olfactory nerves or olfactory bulbs that are sensitive to that cherry blossom scent and they don't like it. Why? Because dad didn't like it. That was passed on through the sperm of the male to the new mice to warn them about an environmental danger. And so they adapted in their development. That's not evolution. That is a pre-programmed response through the DNA of that animal that had to have been put in that animal even before it was born. That's God there. You see, it's just like a car. When an engineer makes a car, they are going to basically put in sensors to sense the environment then there's some sort of logical computer chip or something like that that can respond to that environment, right? For example, 
you might have a thermostat, a, a temperature gauge in your car that reads what it is on the outside. And inside, so the sensor tells you it's 80 degrees outside. But inside, then you've got a logical thing that tells you, well, if it is, you know, 85 degrees, the air conditioning is going to come on. If it's 75 degrees, the heater is going to come on. A response to the environment. Engineers do this all the time. And we're finding that that is what God has done. The ultimate engineer of you and of all creation has pre-programmed sensors in your body, in the bodies of all these animals, to sense the environment around them and then have a logical response to make a solution to that problem. And that is what we're seeing. That anything designed, really that's what you do. And so why would we not see that in God as a designer? Unless, of course, it's just natural selection and you're a product of chance. We're going to come back to that. They even admit we have no clue of how life began by only natural processes. At least they admit it, right? They have no clue. They keep guessing, and yet the Bible has told us, and yet do you know most Christians still haven't accepted that answer as fact? That this is where we come from, and as the Bible says, just a few thousand years ago. Okay? Um, this guy here, he is the, the world's leading expert on lizards. How'd you like that title, huh? Well, he says this. Well, first of all, let me tell you what happened. There was a, a hurricane that came, and it destroyed all the lizards on seven different islands. Now, what they have noted, that lizards, when they live in the forests, in trees and stuff like that, they have short leg or the long legs, and if they live in like deserty, scrubby brush area, they have these shorter legs. So long legs for the forest, short legs for the desert. Well, these uh, islands had trees and forests and stuff like that on them, very you know moist uh, environment. And so the lizards on these islands all had long legs. The hurricane come, wipe it all out. So they decided we're going to take some of these desert ones and we're going to replant lizards on these islands. So they did that on all seven islands. They put short-legged lizards on there. What do you think happened? I'm sorry, they put long-legged, I think is what it was first. But, but anyway, yeah you're going to see the exact opposite happen. He says, in recent years, scientists have identified convergence in almost any type trait you can imagine. Well, our prediction was that they would evolve shorter legs because they were taking them, I, I did it opposite here, they were taking them from a forest and putting them, now the hurricane wiped it all out, so now you've got scrubby brush environment. So the long-legged ones went to the islands where scrubby brush was. Our prediction was, that they would evolve shorter legs, and they did. Over the course of four years, average limb length steadily declined on all seven islands, exactly as predicted. Isn't it something that they, they kind of see, listen, this isn't working, but they're not making the connection that evolution and, and what we're seeing don't mix. They don't mesh. You don't make evolution happen. You can't predict what evolution would do. Not the evolution we've grown up with. There's no way evolution, you can't predict what it's going to do. 
but yet design you could. So again, any of these quotes that I'm giving you are not coming from Bible-believing Christian. These are evolutionists that I'm giving you quotes from. But you can see the disconnect. They're just not quite connecting the dots. But as Christians, you ought to be able to see this. This is design. What we call this is continuous environmental tracking. That whether it be an animal or you, we are continually in monitoring the environment around us and it keeps us healthy, it keeps us safe, it keeps us comfortable. If I sense it's cold, I can, if my body monitors that and my body has things that will adjust to turn on the heat. If I'm too hot, my body is monitoring that so it's got some sort of logic inside me that turns on the control to cool down. I start to sweat. All of nature has been designed that way. Those are not things that could come about by accidents and evolution. It's, it's the same argument of, well, what evolved first? Your stomach or your mouth? Right? If your mouth evolved first, where's it going? If your stomach evolved first, how's it getting in there? I mean, we could go on and on giving you examples. And it's the same way here. If I evolved without that ability to adapt to that environment when it got too hot or too cold, I'd be dead. We are so finely tuned that you are keeping a body temperature the same no matter where you're going. What temperature? That's incredible. That's not evolution. You can't, if one part of that's not working, it all falls apart. And so, when you read in articles and stuff today, we're hearing words like regulated, rapid, repeatable, reversible, targeted, predictable. Those words don't belong with evolution. It's, it's the opposite of evolution. That's design. Those are words engineers would use. Isn't that something? I, I mean, the real question here is, are these responses from an external source, like the environment made me do it? Or is it something that's inside your body saying, that information in my body made me do it, made me sweat? Is it the environment doing it? Or is it something inside you doing it? Not the environment. Something inside you. So, it's kind of like NASA. And along the lines of the same thing as a car. When NASA built a space shuttle, do you think they just said, well, well, that looks good. I think that's the right shape. Let's go for it. No, they spent years thinking, all right, what could happen? We need oxygen out there. What would, if we lose oxygen, how are we going to know it? How can we get oxygen back? How can we do that? You're thinking about all the problems that could come about. And then, they programmed solutions. Well, first of all, they programmed sensors to determine if there was a problem. Then a solution if the sensor told you there was a problem. It is no different with God. God knew that this world was going to have all different kinds of environments. There would be catastrophes like Noah's flood that was going to take place. There'd probably be an, there was going to be an ice age. There's going to be you know, heat and there's going to be cold. And he knew that there's going to be a lot of problems so he pre-programmed sensors into our body, into the bodies of the animals, so that they would be able to respond and solve the solution 
or come up with a solution to solve the problem. Guinea pigs. Kind of interesting. These guinea pigs here, they put guinea pigs, kind of like they did with chickens, except for it didn't shock them. It was heat. They sat them on a heating pad. Now, guinea pigs carry their important parts low to the ground, if you know what I mean. And so, as a result, they did this for 70 days so that their important parts were being heated up. You might think, well, maybe they became sterile. No, they didn't become sterile. After 70 days of being on a heating pad, they put these things and they took them and they, they mated them with naive females. That's not an insult, that's what they're called when they haven't been exposed to whatever you're you know, doing with them. So, <laughs> yeah, I could see it, boy, I'm gonna get in trouble here. You naive females. Anyway, they, they mated them with these naive females and what happened was this. The offspring were born with 16 different genetic alterations that took place to allow those offspring to live in warmer climates. Kind of like the mice. That they passed on through their sperm the ability to live in a different type of environment. And so there was a problem with the environment around them. There were sensors telling them this is a problem. There were changes then that were made, passed on to their children, and now their children can live in warmer environments without harm. Again, that's not a mutation. That's not, you know, well, the curse, just it didn't create anything good. That's a loving God, pre-programming solutions to problems. Knowing, that's a, an all-knowing God, knowing those problems would be around. And this is the kind of thing we are seeing all the time. Engineers, when they build stuff, they don't make things using chaotic processes and mutations and, well, let's see, well, that broke, let's see what that does. Right? No, engineers apply intelligence, they imply a, a loving care, a desire, and yet, for years, how many of us in the church have ascribed the things that we see in nature around us as chaotic, natural, accidental processes? We stripped God of His glory, of His power, of His, His omniscience, His omnipotence, and said, nope, just happy accidents. Wow, isn't that something? Nope, just mutations, the product of the curse, when in fact it was the opposite. But we bought into that lie because of natural selection. Because of evolution and all these words. I mean, think about it. Every time you see the word natural selection, it, had you put in place of that word design, you know, divine design, how would that have made you think differently? Just by replacing that one word. Natural selection produced this. But if we just said divine design produced this. Can you see how that would, would put God back on his throne? Simply by replacing one word. Or two if you call it natural selection, I guess, right? So, this is amazing. The, 
when we start thinking just a little bit different, tweaking our thinking just slightly, what a big difference it's going to make. Uh, we, we see similar conditions with things like the, the, the uh, elephants here, the dwarf elephants. Do you know these dwarf elephants? I want one. The full grown, they're only about this tall, waist high. The, the island dwarfism, they call it. When these things live on the islands, they're small. It's much the same, like, you take a fish in a fish tank, do you know it only grows as large as its environment allows it to, right? There are no new mutations. Stick it in a bigger tank, it gets bigger. Same thing happens with the elephants, and, by the way, people, too. Uh, we, we've seen island dwarfism with people, uh, with some of the so-called missing links. Uh, we see that. Okay, like Hobbit, they called it. Okay, just human being, fully human. Matter of fact, they don't. What they don't tell you is he looks exactly same size and everything, just like the people that live on the island right now. All right. Anyway, um, there's other things like this really crazy beetle. This beetle here looks like this, and what it does is it feeds off of ants. Well, it goes into like these ant mounds, and the ants attack it and will kill it. So this beetle, in its lifetime, it actually morphs and changes to look like an ant. Smells like an ant. Its behavior acts like an ant. It goes into the ant pile. The ants take it as its own. It just happens to eat one every now and then. It'll go and feed the other ants. It'll take care of them. It's just when nobody's looking. Okay. Again, not mutations. This is, this is not natural. This is a pre-programmed ability. It's incredible. That is the creativity of God. It says, they propose that beetles are poised for this changing, basically, uh, morphing, that this near-clad, wide, pre-adaptive is... Yes! Pre-adaptive! Let's put the word pre-designed in there instead, though. But you see, they can't admit that. They can't admit God is the one that allows this mimicry to take place. It is just natural. This discovery published March 9th in Current Biology provides evidence that evolution has the capacity to repeat itself in an astonishingly predictable way. They're starting to use words that are the antithesis of evolution, hoping that you guys are going to not pick up on that. Well, let me tell you, we can't keep going along with this lie any longer. I know we live in a world where up is down and, and right is left, but not if you have the Spirit of God in you. It is time to wake up and realize, put God back on His throne and say, He is not only our Creator, He's our rule giver, our law giver. We disobey His rules, there are consequences. In Nebraska, where I live here, there's... This lady, she's kind of world-renowned for, for studying mice. And what they see is that mice that live in the forest, kind of like these lizards, have long tails. Mice that live in the sand hills have short tails. Well, she's been studying those and kind of doing the same type of thing and changing their environment. And guess what? You take a sand hill mouse and you stick it into the forest and the tails get longer. Even the number of vertebrae change. Growing vertebrae. It's not evolution. It's a pre-programmed, pre-designed response to an environment. 
Okay. Longer tails have evolved repeatedly in similar forested habitat. Variations in these traits is controlled by separate genetic loci, suggesting that it's not random processes. No kidding. You see, when you start thinking properly, we've grown up thinking that evolution was this little thing. What's the common ancestor? You got everything goes back to one trunk of a tree. The creationists now for a number of years have been saying, it's not a tree, an evolutionary tree. It is an orchard. Many different kinds of animals created by God. And yes, from each one of those trees, there are adaptations, pre-programmed design features that can cause them to change to fit their environment variety among species. And yes, there are some genetic changes that can take place. Yes, there are mutations that do take place. But the driving source is not mutations. It's the loving power of God pre-programmed into our genes. Darwin has been wrong about literally everything. Evolution was wrong about literally everything. They, they told you that your appendix was an evolutionary leftover. You evolved it because someday you, you, in the past you needed it, but we don't need it anymore. We evolved past its use, so now it's a useless evolutionary leftover called a vestigial organ. We were taught that for years, and for years when you'd go in for surgery, there was some issue maybe, uh, they would just take it out as well, as long as we're in here, let's get rid of it. It's useless anyway. Now they've discovered you get rid of your appendix. It increases your, cancer, your chances of leukemia, cancer of the colon, cancer of the ovaries, Hodgkin's disease, because it's where your immune systems are initiated. And it's an important part. God didn't put things in there that weren't important. Evolution says, yeah, well, you'll need it for a little while. You don't know. God says, I put it there for a purpose. And there is always a purpose for it. Okay, we could go through all kinds of those kind of things. You know, the tailbone, our wisdom teeth, you, you name it. They all have purposes. They said that we're made up of junk DNA. Most of, I think they were saying like over 80% of our DNA, or maybe it was even more of that, but somewhere around that was non-functional. It was what we evolved but don't need it anymore. It was junk now they've discovered that what they saw was junk, 80% of that they've discovered did have a function. And I guarantee you the other 20%, they just haven't been smart enough to figure that part out yet. It has a purpose, every bit of it. They used to say that you were 98.6% genetically to, uh, uh, identical genetically to a chimpanzee. I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, maybe there is something to evolution. Kind of hunched over like one, right? No, crazy. Now, because of genetic studies, we've discovered that at best you're 70%. It depends on, in some cases, 50%. It all depends on what you're looking at. And so, Everything, literally everything that you have grown up thinking, oh, this we know so much, and all oh, these scientists are so smart, they're dumb. They're fools. Because a fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool kicks God off of his throne. The fool takes away his power. The fool takes away his knowledge and understanding and his love. They were wrong about Neanderthals. Missing links. Now, 
They're saying most of society actually has genetic DNA from Neanderthal in them. They're, they're finding that. And they even say Neanderthal was completely human, just suffered from a bone disease called rickets. That's why he was hunched over and so on. And there's other things we could talk about Neanderthal, but the point is, not a missing link, human being, completely. They're wrong about death. Steve Jobs, uh, when he was at uh, Stanford, I think it was, he gave a, a speech, invited back to give a speech. He was dying of pancreatic cancer. And he gave a speech, and in his speech, he talked about death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. See, evolution says death, good thing, right? It's what causes evolution, all of that, which is so silly to me. If they, if they think death is such a good thing, why do we have hospitals? Hey, let evolution do its thing. And if those dumb snowboarders, they can't avoid those trees, let them die. I don't want them passing their genes on. I want the good snowboarders passing their genes on. Right? We live in such an inconsistent world. They tell you that you come from pond scum and that you're, you're worthless. You know, we're just all pond scum, but they come home and hug their kids. It's all yours. I love you. You're so special. No, you're not. You're pond scum. You little worm. Right? inconsistencies everywhere they go because they're wrong. They're wrong. Death is not life's change agent. Death is a bad thing. It was the curse of sin. Which is why Jesus had to come and do a terrible thing and die. That's not a good thing that He had to do that. That was Him saying, I know curse is awful, death is awful, but I don't want you to do it. I'll do it for you. I'll take the curse. I'll die for you. So there was a good result of Jesus taking a bad thing for you. We all know death is not good. I mean, you sh if somebody's dog came in here and I pulled out a gun, shoot it, you guys would all, ah! you evil monster! Right? Because you know death is bad. Deep down you all know it. And yet we're trying to say, but no, but, but death is a good thing. No. You, you look at pictures of this happening. You all go, oh, poor lion, right? No, you're thinking that poor zebra, right? We know death is bad, but this is what the devil does. He tries to make up, down, right, wrong. Death is a bad thing, but evolution praises it as if it, it, it's you know, life's change agent. I'm not going to get into too much of this because of time, but I just want you to see that if you believe that the earth is millions of years old, I, want to, I just really want you to ask this question. Why? Because all these atheist, anti-God fools have told you that, well, science is showing it right? Because, do you know, I can show you science that goes against all of that. Yeah, but, the dating methods, this, that. Yeah, I can show you those dating methods and why you're getting old dates and why you can get young dates. Is it because that you have trusted man over God's Word? Because I truly believe that there is very little difference between a Christian who believes in millions of years 
and an atheist who has denied God. Again, I believe that there will be people in heaven, but in your thinking, there is very little difference between the two of you. I want to show you something here. For years, I have had people tell me, Brian, you're just too legalistic on this idea of creation. You've got to stop being so adamant that the earth is young because it's divisive and people aren't going to come to church if you, you know, you're, 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 they're not going to tithe to the church anymore if you, you kind of make that hard line in the sand and, you know, all these kind of arguments. Divisiveness in the church. Well, this is a study here done in sociological science and it was pretty interesting because they took three groups of people. Those that believed the Bible was inspired by God but it was figurative, meaning Adam and Eve, maybe not real people, and so on. But, you know, it was just figurative, but yes, I believe in God's Word just the way I want to believe it. Then there were those that took the Bible literally, and then there were those that believed the Bible was just a book of fables. Man-made, man-written, it's not God, it's just, you know, Little Red Riding Hood. They watched over time, and over basically a 25-year period here. What's amazing is the numbers, how they changed. Those people who took the Bible literally that were going to church, 25 years later, were still going to church, still holding steady. Those that were going to church believed the Bible was inspired, but just figurative, began leaving the church. Those that did not believe in the Bible at all, more of them began to go to church. In other words, you take the Bible literally, you're standing on solid ground. You don't take the Bible literally, you're standing on sandy ground. And then, those that didn't take the Bible at all, common sense and reason, eventually start to win out, and the love of God drawing them in, they began to come to church because they began to know the Lord Jesus Christ, their Creator, their Savior. It is another lie from the pits of hell, from the devil himself, that to stand on truth is going to be divisive, so let's not do it. You've got to stand on truth. COVID. I'm going to step on some toes. That's what I do. You know, I saw people who bowed down to the lies of the devil through COVID, and I saw churches and schools do this. And I go and see a lot of schools and a lot of churches doing what I do. And do you know that across the board, those that bowed down to the government and shut down and did what all they were supposed to do rather and lived in fear rather than trusting the Lord, their numbers still have never come back to what they were before. And those that stood against it and stood on truth if they're not at least the same, they've increased to doubled. I was at one school in Wisconsin. They had 100 kids before. They're at like 230 kids within a year and a half after COVID. Never shut down, never wore masks, never did any of it. They were the focus of the newspaper in the town, all of that. It is never wrong to stand on truth. You might think for a moment that, oh, people are going to think you're weird and whatever. Who cares? In the long run, truth wins. In the long run, there are blessings in that. I'm going to close out with a couple of scripture verses here. 
Now that I've talked about these things, I want to put it into a biblical perspective from Scripture itself and see if these verses don't maybe pop off the page a little bit more. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Guys, I think that the natural selection has become an idol. Evolution became an idol and you didn't even realize that you were worshipping it. Because we exchanged the glory of the immortal God, His power, His qualities, His loving pre-designed for images. For things like a tree with all these branches. Things like natural selection. Things like Darwin. They exchanged the truth of God for this lie. Over, I mean, we could go through a whole list of lies. Rather than believing in our Creator, we believed in natural selection. Now, maybe you still don't get natural selection as a God. Let me show you here. Darwin's theory of natural selection accounts for the design of organisms. For the wondrous diversity and the result of natural processes, the gradual accumulation of spontaneously arisen variations, mutations sorted out by natural selection. Notice... And you can look at this in article upon article upon article. Natural selection is always personified, idolized. It is given a power. It is given some almost reasoning capabilities. Power to change, power to favor, power to, to punish. The articles, they, they use it all the time. Natural selection or natural processes design creates. That is something that's only given, that, that, that quality should only be attached to God. This lady says Darwin was brilliant to make natural selection a sort of God-like term, an expression that could replace God. Who did it? Created life forms. He made it easy for his contemporaries to think and verbalize Mr. Big omnipotent God in the sky, picking out those he wants to keep. He has been conceived as the natural selector he throws the others away. Again, an idol is not just the object. It is the power you project onto that object. In natural selection, we have projected a power on evolution and natural selection that should only be projected upon God. It is true idol worship to believe in evolution. This guy says here, Biologists now tend to believe profoundly that natural selection is the invisible hand that crafts well-wrought forms. Sounds like God. Right? They worship and serve created things. Even things, figments of their imagination can become a God rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Can you see that? Exchanging the truth of God for a lie? I would rather think of Hebrews 12.2 that says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is our Creator. 
that is the one that belongs. He is the one that belongs on the throne. He is the one that should be attributed and projected the idea of creating power, punishing power. In Bible study, talking John Bevere, talking about the fear of God. We've lost that in our churches today. Where is the fear of God? Been lost by a figment of our imagination of a God of love who would never send anybody to hell. He's a loving God. As Ray Comfort always says, try that in the courts of law. Hey, I'm a loving judge, and because of that, you're free to go. You just let go a serial killer because you're a loving God. We ascribe those things to God that we wouldn't even ascribe to a judge on earth. See, God is love. And He did for the joy set before Him in His infinite power and pre-programmed knowledge. Do you think it was an accident that Adam and Eve fell into sin? That God was up there in heaven? Oh my goodness! What did you just do? You ate of the tree? Oh, I didn't see that coming. Darn it. No, he knew. He chose you before the creation of the world. He had the gospel pre-programmed in history before he even created this world. Before he said, let there be. That's the kind of God we serve. It wasn't an accident. Let me tell you, it's not an accident that you're sitting here today either. It's not an accident that you're feeling His love for you in His heart. You're feeling His calling in your heart right now. That's a pre-programmed response that He put in you. You know what it says in Romans 2? It says that He has put His law in our hearts and that our conscience is going to bear witness against us on the day of judgment. He has put in you a conscience. He has written His law in your minds and in your hearts so that you know when you do wrong and you know that you have offended a righteous and holy God who can squish you like a bug. He knows that. You know that because He put it in you. And if you have that calling and you know that you have offended Him, He has also put in you a knowledge of Him. That's what your conscience is going to bear witness against you because conscience, the very word con-science is conscience. Con means with, science means knowledge. You sin with knowledge against God if you have sinned against Him. You know it. You can try and suppress that truth, as Romans says, that these same wicked people do. They deny God. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Don't suppress that truth. Recognize that this is a pre-programmed thing that God is calling you. And He wants you to repent. And He wants you to lay your sins down at the cross. And He wants you to say, God, I am sorry. Because He wants to come in and say, I forgive you. I take away your sins. And I can take away your hurts. I can take away your struggles that you're struggling with in life. This pornography, this, this, this bitterness, this hatred, this whatever it is that you have in your life right now that you're struggling with. He wants to take that away from you. He's pre-programmed 
a desire, a compass pointing towards him. We just keep suppressing it and saying, no, I don't want to follow that. I don't want... That's the flesh. That's the lie of the devil trying to get you to believe that. Give it up. Take hold of the supernatural selection of God and give your life over to Him. He's waiting. He will not say no. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You so much and we just thank You for being a God who cares, a God who sees, a God who never leaves us, and a God who is involved. You didn't just create and step back and expect everything to fall into place accidentally, but you are involved and have pre-programmed things everywhere we see it. We see your power, your glory, your, your nature, and we give you glory for that. I pray that if there's somebody here today that is just feeling that tug, that pre-programmed tug in their hearts to, to repent and say, God, I, I've screwed up. I've rejected you. I have not accepted you. I've I've tried to live my life on my own. I just pray that they would give that up here now. I pray that, Lord, as they, they call out to you in their hearts, that you would respond, that you would let them know that you're listening, and that you would begin to change their life today. That when they have that flesh tugging them to to sin, to do something that goes against your word, your spirit would also be tugging them and and they would realize, wait a minute, this is not the direction I want to go. God has put pre-programmed sensor and my sensors are going off. And I know the answer is just to turn to you and you will be the solution. Thank you, Jesus, for being that solution and may you... Let them feel that. Be the strength that you have promised that through Christ we can do all things to resist the devil, resist the flesh, resist the world, and to grab on to truth. In Jesus' name we pray.